Welcome to Essential Wisdom, Inspiring Future Female Physicians, a podcast for engaging and informing the next generation of women in medicine. My name is Carrie DeBell. I'm a fourth-year medical student at the Frank H. Netter MD School of Medicine at Quinnipiac University. Essential Wisdom is a podcast for discussing the joys and the challenges of being a woman in medicine through the sharing of stories and advice by women who mentor us. Take a seat with me at the desks of the mentors. Come along to walk the halls of the hospitals to experience residency and life as a physician personally as we get to know these phenomenal physicians and scientists. Hey everyone, welcome to Essential Wisdom, Inspiring Future Female Physicians. My name is Carrie and I'm thrilled that you decided to join us this week. We have a very special treat this week. This is probably the 15th time that I've recorded this introduction because honestly, I cannot decide which part to begin with. We have the interim college president of St. Mary's College joining us today, Dr. Nancy Neckvassil. As an aside, before I dig into her background, Dr. N, as you'll hear me call her throughout the conversation, is a mentor to me lifelong, um, at least starting in college. So she was my health professions advisor when I was at St. Mary's College and has gone on to become a very dear friend to me since I graduated from the college. She over the last year and a half, has served as the interim college president and has touched a lot of lives. And so I'm very excited to have this conversation. She is well equipped to know and speak about the process of becoming a female physician and her wisdom is just inspiring. So I'm, I'm excited for you to hear this. Without further ado, help me welcome Dr. Nancy Neckvassil. Dr. Nakvasil currently serves as the interim president of St. Mary's College, Notre Dame, Indiana. She holds a Bachelor of Science in Biology from New Mexico State University and a PhD in Biology from the University of Notre Dame. She has served for 35 years as faculty, chair of the biology department, health professions advisor, and many other roles at St. Mary's College. She has designed and instructed a wide variety of courses, a few of which include physiology of women, pathophysiology, general physiology, and research in biology. Her research interests include women in STEM, physiology education, and pathophysiology. Dr. Nekvasil has a heart for helping college-aged women learn, grow, and achieve. The fruits of her dedication are felt among women across decades that have had the chance to learn in her courses and to be advised by her. How often is it that we get to speak with a college president? Friends, this is an incredible chance to welcome Dr. Nekvasil to the show. I'm so grateful that she has the time to speak with us today. Dr. Nekvasil, welcome to Essential Wisdom. Thank you for having me. Thank you for giving us the time to come to talk today and to delve from your unique perspective into this uh, conversation about women preparing for health professions, preparing for medical school. The way that I like to begin our conversations is to just ask you to tell us about your path to becoming a female scientist. I was always drawn to science kinds of things. I loved animals as a kid growing up, and um, I grew up in a family that spent a lot of time outdoors and um, had animals around all the time. So as a child, I always thought I would be a veterinarian, 
but, and this sounds really terrible, I decided I probably couldn't do that because I couldn't stand to watch animals suffer. But I figured I could go to medical school because I could, I could see people hurting and I could help them, which sounds really <laughs> odd, but that's really sort of what I thought. So, um, once I got into high school, I really liked math a lot. So I thought about, well, maybe I'll pursue math. But I found my probably most um, fulfilling times of figuring things out. So the problem solving, the critical thinking, when I was in a science class. And so I remember in seventh grade, um, being given some questions on a test that we had never talked about before, but I was able to figure it out from mm-hmm. information I knew, and that was very rewarding to me. And then um, I was one of the only girls picked as a quiz bowl captain and, uh, you know, was pitted against all the boys, and they went through and picked, of course, all the kids that they thought were smart to be on their teams, and the first mm-hmm. person I picked was my best friend who was not at all gifted academically. She really struggled, but she was my best friend. So, of course, I was going to pick her. And people thought that was really a stupid thing to do. And the boys kind of made fun of me. And I was like, whatever. And we won the whole (laughs) quiz bowl. So, for me, early on, that support of other girls and other women um, happened in the classroom for me. And probably because I grew up in a family of girls. I have four sisters, no brothers. And so that was really my life growing up. I had, uh, my mom had all sisters, no brothers. I had a majority of aunts rather than uncles. And so there was just a lot of women around me that um, just did amazing things. And so I grew up just believing that as a girl, I could do pretty much anything and that I had the support of you know, a grandmother and aunts and my mom and sisters in pursuing whatever sciencey kind of thing I like to do. Did the women in your family pursue science careers? No, they did not. Um, but I had a grandmother who um, was actually a concert violinist, but oh. she was also a rancher. And so she rode horses and she vaccinated cattle and, you know, did did all of that kind of thing, you know, when she would go on cattle drives. I had an aunt who, um, they were about the same age. They were both born before New Mexico was even a state. So they were born in the early 1900s. And this aunt would, um, she was very artsy. And she actually became a teacher and taught school for many, many years. But if she needed to, you know, have some colors to do something, um, she would get plants and she would figure out how to kind of extract the the color from the plant to Mm -hmm. make whatever it was that she needed the color for to do her arts and crafts. I mean, I just, there were just women around me that just did these really awesome things and it was all about just using your mind and kind of figuring things out and using what you had at hand and making do with that and so I was surrounded by women who weren't afraid to try. Mm. What an incredible inspiration to see while you're growing up through that formative time. Yes. Yes. 
And it seems like just me knowing you and um, how this plays out into your life, part of that that has carried through is this idea that you want to figure problems out and attack things head on and, and learn with your brain in a really unique way. Yes, and I don't think I ever thought about it too much mm. until I had children and I would begin to watch them exploring the world. And knowing that rather than doing something for them, as mm. hard as it was to sit back and watch them struggle, it was really important for them to do that and to figure out how to get things done. And that accomplished two things. Number one, it really developed their creative thinking and their imaginations and problem solving. Uh, But it also built extreme confidence in them. Mm -hmm. That's so important. Um, Did that ever shift for you when you began your career then in science and you were achieving your PhD? Um, Did you ever have a shift in your inspiration by women or feel, you know, that maybe things were more difficult than you anticipated? No, I have to say that I think I'm one of those very fortunate women who either because I kind of have blind faith in people, I tend to be just a really optimistic person and have a lot of, you know, trust in people, (laughs) whether I should or shouldn't. And Mm -hmm. so entering into the sciences, finally deciding to pursue a PhD, I just never thought much about it. I just went for it. And um, there was maybe one time when uh, there was a male PhD student who came back who had not finished, and I felt like, well, why is my advisor giving him more attention than me? That's weird. And then I just mm-hmm. let it go because why? Why bother? It didn't, you know. In the end of the day, it didn't really matter. Um, but I remember thinking that, and then um, in retrospect, once I started into my teaching career, realized that my advisor was a little bit gender biased. But mm. at the time, I just didn't even think about it. I had other things, you know. I loved school and I loved the teaching that I was doing and, you know, I had a husband at home. I didn't yet have my first child, but, um, you know, I, my, my thoughts were elsewhere. So I didn't dwell on the fact that he was sometimes maybe not as kind as he should have been. Hmm. Um, and, and largely I didn't even notice it truthfully. That's, I think that's a great skill, right? I mean, to be able to just kind of charge head forward and be so confident and, well, I don't know if I want to say confident, but so believing in your goals that, you know, you don't necessarily think about all the biases. I think that's actually pretty amazing. Right. And I think, too, recognizing that, and this is something that I learned through the years. I don't know that I knew it when I was really young starting a PhD program, but really came to know this as I progressed is that there wasn't anything I could do about how he was behaving or Mm -hmm. his responses to me that all I could do was, was alter me and my responses. And so, you know, if there was something I needed to do to rev up, you know, my experiments or the timing of things or to be more productive then I needed to do that. When I started to write my dissertation, it was a 
total blow because I always thought I was a good writer. And my, my first draft to my advisor was crushing. Oh my goodness. He just bled all over it. But rather than, you know, folding into a ball and just, you know, oh dear, I just, I just thought, okay, how do I approach this? Well, I, I figure out why he's telling me this stuff. Um, that was hard. Like I, it took me, it took me a couple of days, <laughs> but yeah. I just went through step by step and uh, went back and just rewrote and followed, you know, more of his template. And the more I did that, the more I thought, well, you know, he's probably right. You know, I'm writing this more like a creative story instead of a scientific research paper. And mm-hmm. he must know because he's published a jillion papers. And so I need to pay attention. And so that's what I did. And so I just didn't dwell much on the fact that he was pretty pretty merciless in his critique <laughs> of me. Um, and and then um, finally one day I went to him and I said I I think I've done enough I'm ready to finish. And he had been he had been treating me pretty poorly. And he looked at me and he says, Well, it's about time you've decided to finish. <laughs> well, okay. That's what you're waiting for. I'm finishing. So I just, I don't know if it, just that, you know, I, I did what I thought I needed to do, and I just didn't dwell much on mm. the other stuff. And I just tried to keep my focus. In relationship to that, can you talk about whether or not that impacted your confidence and how you dealt with confidence in that situation? I think so. I I was always one who was fearful of risk and, you know, stepping out and maybe failing. And I, again, I don't know if that had to do with anything relative to my upbringing or birth order or any of that sort of stuff. I know there's lots of ideas about things like that. But um, it's interesting that I, I had confidence in areas that I just didn't even think about. Um, so... Just to give you an example, I would spend time in the summer out on my grandparents' ranch, and um, I just I started driving a Jeep when I was about 12 or 13, and mm-hmm. I didn't ever think about it. I just had confidence. It was like, oh, I can do this. I've watched my father drive a stick shift for years. I know how to do this. You mm-hmm. listen to the way the engine revs, and when it's revved up to a certain amount, you, you do that shift, because I used to listen to that and I used to swallow when he would do that. I mean, it sounds so dumb, but it's true. <laughs> um, so I had a lot of confidence and stuff like that. I just never thought about that. But then when it came to, um, you know, just like auditioning for something or kind of putting myself out there, I was very much not willing to do things like that. That was very, very scary to me. So, um, but pursuing my degree, I was confident in academics. I loved academics. I, I did well and was successful there. And so that, that I was confident doing. Putting myself out to, you know, like, I don't know, apply for a job and move out east type stuff, that, that would have been very hard for me. But I have a very deep faith. I believe that the Lord has you know, planned my path. And I think he knew that. And so I was always in a situation where it was a little bit out of my comfort zone and a little bit of a risk, but not so much of a risk that I was scared to death. 
so mm. that I could take the next step and then take the next step and then um, really see God's hand in moving me along through life. I wonder um, if you could talk a little bit then about how when you, this is jumping super far forward and I don't really mean to be going in order, I guess, but then when you became the really the health professions advisor at St. Mary's, how did these experiences translate to how you started advising young women? I, of course, you know, having had all these sisters um, and being in the middle, I was kind of the one that, you know, was um, best friends with the two sisters older than me and with the two sisters younger than me. So I kind of had that role in my, in my family. Mm-hmm. But in the four years between college and graduate school, I worked in clinics and hospitals and all of that. So I gained a lot of knowledge just on the job firsthand, you know, watching people, watching a disease process, observing surgery. I was very fortunate that because I was in school, probably mostly, uh, the physicians would let me go into the operating room or they would let me be in the nursery with newborns and things like that. So I got so much experience with the medical profession and what a life was like as a medical professional and not just physicians, but nurses. Um, and those were the two main ones. There weren't many others that I really interacted with, I don't think. Um, so when I had the opportunity to take over as a health professions advisor at St. Mary's, I felt really, really confident at that. And I felt like I not only understood personality-wise what it would take, but also the academic fervor and, you know, creativity and desire to know and curiosity. And so I felt like I could do a good job helping students achieve their goals and just working closely with them and, you know, kind of that firsthand knowledge of having been in that setting for four years while I was between between degrees. Mm. In the process of advising many young women over time, is there, is there a, um, this is going to sound so silly. Is there like a rule book you follow in your head or, or is it just like, okay, I'm going to listen to this girl and then we're going to go from there. It's really always, I listen and then go from there. I don't think that there's a particular rule book with the exception of understanding and knowing the classes that are needed And then as things change through the years, adjusting to that and figuring out how best to advise students in that regard. But Mm -hmm. um, really it's about what she brings to the table, what she has to offer. And um, I think for me, thinking about writing a personal statement, it's kind of like that. It's like you have to know the person well to help them write a good personal statement, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. because when you then read the personal statement, particularly for women, because women have such a hard time talking about themselves, they do not brag about themselves easily. And it's, I shouldn't even use the word brag because it's not that women tend to be very self-effacing and they don't Mm -hmm. want to necessarily put themselves out there. So it's really hard to write personal statements. And so for me, knowing them well helped me to help them write a personal statement because then I could prompt them by, you know, these are the kinds of things that I see you do. I watch you in the classroom do this and this and this, and I see your problem solving. And while you're not quick to give the answer, 
you do support others when they give that answer. And so I see you as this supportive, you know, and so it's that kind of thing where it's a pretty personal, actually, mm-hmm. um, sort of observation of that student. And so for me, the advising was always that kind of thing. I actually have always wondered, and I know it happens effectively because women get to, into medical school and health professions programs from really large universities. But I think that that has to be harder in some ways because people, how do people really know them well? Like, how do they get really good letters of recommendation? Mm. So, I mean, the medical schools have to figure that out themselves. But for me, being able to give that personal touch, that personal advice, that personal sort of encouragement and prompt along the way was really an important thing for me to do for my students. I mean, what an amazing like gift that you give them, though. I mean, like even if you're at, whether you're at a small institution or a big institution, not every person is able to give so much reflection and so much really truthful evaluation of students. So, I mean, that I myself and I'm sure many are very grateful for that. So, um, that's a really special gift. Just awesome. It is very much a blessing to be able to have that kind of a relationship with the students and to help them achieve their goals. That That's mm-hmm. just an incredible thing to share in that. One of the things that I know you're interested in and is given rise to like a similar idea in my podcast is how we can continue to support that college-aged woman who's trying to gain and um, become empowered at a young age, you know, as she begins to develop the skills she needs to contribute to the medical field and so many other science professions. So I wonder if you could just talk about some of your interest in women in STEM and and what you love about it. I just think that um, STEM is just an area where if you have a curiosity and, you know, you think creatively, but you are just you know, in awe of the ways that things work and, you know, the mechanics of something or something like that, that it is absolutely the the place for you to be as a, as a thinker. And I think that women bring a very unique perspective to that. I think that, and I have two boys, so I can say this honestly, I have two boys and, and one girl that, um, boys just tend to be a lot more sort of black and white and, you know, look at things kind of in a straight line. Women weave. They weave their thoughts around things. They intertwine their thoughts. And so I have four granddaughters, and I watch them, the nine-year-old. Um, I watch her, you know, bending down in the grass and looking at the blades. And she, I was just recently visiting in Tennessee, visiting them, and she called me over and she said, look at this. And I, I couldn't even see it. It was so tiny. I said, what are you pointing to? She was pointing to a little blade of grass that had poked through a broad leaf of a clover. It was so tiny, you couldn't even see it. She is, she's nine years old. She is so detail-oriented. And then she was watching bees on the flower. And so she was thinking, well, she could just, 
She could transfer the pollen herself. If the bee could do that, she could do that. So she's wiping the pollen on her fingers, and then she's wiping it onto another, actually, anther. And so I said, well, mm-hmm. that's really not the part. This is the, this is the girl part. That's the boy part. This is the girl part. So she ran in the house, got a paintbrush, and started getting the pollen off of the anthers and then rubbing it on the stigma. I mean, wow. <laughs> and, and to me, and that's how girls think. Girls are just like, why are there tiny little hairs on a tarantula leg? You know, boys are like, ah, catch the tarantula, rah, you know, scare somebody with it. <laughs> They're just very, very different. And so I love just developing that, like in them, in the girls. But I don't know if my grandgirls do science. That doesn't even matter. My daughter didn't do science. But but she, my daughter is very detail-oriented. She's very curious. She loves to problem-solve. Mm-hmm. And so that is such a gift for STEM. And I think that how women approach research problems is so unique, not mm-hmm. to mention the fact that they really support each other in that endeavor, there's much less of this push the other person down to climb the ladder in women. Mm. Women support each other and encourage each other, and everybody's going for their individual goal, but they're walking together, linked arm in arm, so that they all reach further together than a single person trying to blaze the path alone. Mm. And And that's just what I love. I love about how women think, how they work together, how they you know, process things. And um, like I said, it's just, it's more of a, a weaving of things that come together um, than, than just a straight shot sort of, this is it, black and white. Okay, move on to the next thing, which is kind of a, a boy thing. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Like what you're talking about is the amazing gift of like the feminine thought process. Yes. Like, it's totally different. It is. I love that it so is. Much. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Um, okay. So in terms of then fostering that beautiful thought process in college-aged women, what are some of the skills that you think are important for them to learn when they're preparing themselves to enter the STEM field? I think not being afraid to take a risk. And, and for me, that hits close to home because that was something that mm-hmm. in many ways taking a risk was hard for me. In an academic setting, it wasn't because I was confident in myself in an academic setting. I had had a lot of good successes in my school years growing up and a lot of teachers who were very supportive of me and, and helped me develop my confidence. Um, but, but we don't always see that with college age women. And, mm-hmm. and so for them, I think helping them develop a confidence. So that's why for me, it was really important to be at a small college, being able to teach where I could interact with my students one-on-one. And so as soon as I realized that a student might be having trouble with an exam or something like that, it was so important for me to be able to have a talk with her Mm one-on-one and help her to see that actually she was being very successful. There was just maybe one little thing that she needed to tweak. And, And I don't claim to understand about learning disabilities or things like that, but I'm just talking about helping a woman gain enough confidence that she can then stretch herself and and be willing to step outside of that comfort zone. So I think that that's something that women mentors really need to do for young women because everybody comes to the table with a very different experience, a very different lens. And 
just to be ready to help those women see where their gifts lie, mm-hmm. help them to, to recognize those gifts, help them to recognize that, hey, you have an undeveloped talent here that you probably don't even know you have. Um, I recently was able to have some time with a great niece who is 15 years old and she doesn't feel like she fits into the world. She's, she's different in many ways. Um, but she, oh my goodness, she loves animals and she knows so much about all these different animals. So anyway, she was telling me about her gecko that she owns and she, you know, her boa that she owns and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I finally said to her, Arwen, what would you like to do? And she was talking about, well, she could only go to college here, such and such, because her parents wouldn't let her, you know, go away from home. And I don't, I don't know how much of that is true or not. That's my niece, and and I would be hard pressed to think that she really thought that. But anyway, maybe Arwen's a little bit scared. So I just said to her, well, regardless of where you go, what is it you'd like to do? Oh, I don't know. I might be a teacher. I said, okay, that's great, but tell me about your animals. She started talking about her animals. And I said, okay, if you could do anything in the world, you know, no, no hold barred, no money doesn't matter, whatever, what would you do? I'd be a herpetologist. She started talking and I was, I told her, I said, okay, not only do you need to go to college, you need to get a PhD in herpetology. I said, mm-hmm. you are. So I spent two or three days talking to her about that and she just, I mean, I don't know if she really believed me, but I i hope that her confidence began to grow because she's amazing. She's just absolutely amazing. And, you know, that's where her passion is. And that's, for me, that's what she needs to try to develop. It because if she sees an animal or a reptile or something that she likes, she will go look it up and in in 15 minutes, she will know everything about that animal. It's it's really That's incredible. And amazing. it's so fun to watch her brain work. But she's really limiting herself right now with the way that she's thinking about. And she's 15, right? Yeah. So for me, how I think, okay, part of my role, you know, I'm an aunt. I'm in her family. Part of my role is to help her mm-hmm. think outside that sort of confines of what she thinks that she can do mm. beyond high school. And what is important thing to be able to offer women just to say like, Hey, look, you have these gifts, you know, and that like this takes me back to exactly what you were saying before of mentorship needing to be personal, um, mm-hmm. to be able to say that that's just absolutely fabulous. Um, in terms then of how your role as a physiologist and a, you know, professor and faculty member and um, advisor has, has, you know, developed, what is one of the greatest rewards that you think you receive or one of the best gifts of that job? Absolutely, hands down, one of the best gifts is when I see, I'm going to cry, <laughs> when I see one of my students succeed and when I see her gain that, you know, acceptance to medical school or dental school or vet school or graduate school or when I see her, you know, get that award for um, something that she's done and that um, we just had reunion recently and I was able to re-meet and and reacquaint Mm -hmm. with so many former students and 
the things that they're doing are just amazing. And it it's an overwhelming thing. And I don't know many people in their lives who have the opportunity, like I have been given in this role now that I'm that I'm playing to come back around full circle and have a peek in on the life of these women that I was so blessed to teach as undergraduates and see them now, you know, practicing physicians and, you know, I just, it's, it's just unbelievable. I, at graduation, I was able to um, shake the hands and give awarded diplomas to four women who are in our doctorate of nursing practice program. I had had them as undergraduates in physiology. I taught them advanced pathophysiology as graduate students, and I awarded them their diplomas oh, as wow. ENPs. And that's, wow. I mean, I don't know many people that get to do that, but to watch these women just, you know, reach their goals and just continue to make a difference in the world and then mm-hmm. and then to turn around and help others. Thank you, Dr. Ann, for all that you do to make those goals achievable, you know, because the gift of a mentor that says yes to you, that says, hey, you can do this because um, you want to. <laughs> and I've told you this time before, but the, the just the sprout of an idea, you know, oh, I think I want to be a doctor. Um, having somebody, and whether it's a mentor or a family member or, you know, like what you were saying about your niece, great niece, to just say yes to you that you can accomplish this and, and then help you grow and develop those gifts and celebrate those things. Oh, my gosh. There's just nothing better. So very grateful for that as well. Yeah. It's a blessing to me. <laughs> oh, I have so many more questions, and we're going to run out of time here. So, um <laughs> I'm sorry, um, I'm talking too much. <laughs> no, I could I could talk to you for probably like four hours. So in terms of how you set your priorities as a female um, in your career, because you've had a career through motherhood and all of the gifts of life of being a woman, have they changed over time? How do you choose to set your priorities? Uh, my priority first and foremost is to uh, be obedient to my Lord. Okay. I... Um, firmly believe that God has directed my path and um, it's my responsibility to listen to that every day and to know that the best way that I can honor him is to, um, you know, follow where he's leading and, and go through the doors that he's opened. I firmly believe that that's um, how I came to St. Mary's and even to the place of being in this position right now. It's really mm-hmm. just a matter of of that. The second thing is that um, my family always comes first. And I think when you keep priorities straight, that it actually helps you do then the work that you're called to do. Mm-hmm. And so interactions with other people, um, you know, my work is colored by the fact that family comes first. So when I have someone who you know, a vice president or somebody that comes to me and says, this and such has happened, it's not even a question. I don't have to stop and think, well, what is the work you have to get done? I don't know if I can tell you you can leave because we have this work to get done. What I say is family comes first. You need to do that and we will figure out a way. And Mm -hmm. it always gets done. The work always gets done. (laughs) 
it's not a compromise because it helps then that person come back then and give their best because they were able to care for the need with the family. Because more than anything, as women, we're, we're torn by the needs of our family. We just are. That's how we're built. And so if we're able to be in a situation where we can care for that, and that's one thing that I think it helps, you know, and I think we need men and women and everything. So I, I hope this doesn't sound like I don't think that we need men around, but it's so helpful when you have women in a structure where you are working and where you are operating because there is that support where if you have to go do something because of a family situation, then the other women step in and they help cover. And then when you come back, it's good and it's, and it works and you're not punished for doing that. And, um, so I've tried to keep that as a focus and, um, raising my children. It was really important for me to raise strong, independent, courageous, um, faith-filled children. Mm-hmm. And to do that, I had to be there. So it meant that I had to maybe not do as much research as others were doing, but it never affected me. I was still tenured and promoted and then promoted to full professor. It, it never caused any harm to me to, to care for my family first. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that and um, reflecting on how all that is so important. Um, I, that's advice I've never actually heard before, so I, I just love that. So thank you. Um, in terms of our last question, a piece of advice for women preparing for either medical school or just in college trying to figure out their STEM or med- medical career? I think the biggest piece of advice is to find mentors who support you, find people who know you and who are, you know, there to support you, not, not to lie to you. If, if there's something that you're not doing well, or there's a gift that's required that you don't have, not surround yourself with someone who's just going to tell you what you want to hear, but Mm -hmm. surround yourself with women who are honest with you, but who genuinely love you. And, and want you to be successful because then you'll be successful no matter what you choose to do. And they will help you get there. They will help you find that path. And they will step back and let you walk and let you gain that confidence you need to gain. And when you're kind of slipping and falling a little bit, they'll step up and um, help you. And so I think finding that support system, um, maybe it's a mom, maybe it's a, a mentor, a professor, a sister, you know, it it can be a relative, a Um, Mm non-relative, but you'll, you know, you find those gems along the way and you know that they will always be there for you no matter. And I think that is, that is key because we doubt ourselves, you know, when we have times Mm -hmm. where it's really, really hard to take that next step. And sometimes you just need somebody to just, just hold you up. You know, it's kind of, it's that thing again about linking arms. You know, you just link arms. You say, okay, you're really down and out. Okay, I'll lay down with you and I'll just Mm. be there with you. And when you're ready to get up, I'll get up with you and we'll walk together. And I think that's really important. And then I think it's important for us to do it for the next person. (laughs) 
Thank you, Dr. Nekvasil, for coming on Essential Wisdom, inspiring future female physicians, and sharing all of your thoughts. I don't know about the other listeners out there, but I'm a little bit shook after that episode. What a beautiful testament to supporting women in STEM, to supporting women in science, and to supporting women in medicine. So thank you, Dr. Nekvasil, for sharing your wise and just very beautiful words. Your sentiments were so, so, so appreciated. And I know that the listeners out there feel the same way. So thank you. To all my listeners, thank you for tuning in for episode five of Essential Wisdom. As you know, this is the first of our series of research scientists. This is two episodes of research scientists. This was number one. Our second one's coming up on Thursday. So I hope you are enjoying a little bit of a different perspective um, on preparing to go to medical school or preparing to become a doctor. So This is a fun episode for me to record, and I hope you enjoyed it too. If you did, please consider sharing this podcast with a friend. Um, It really helps to disseminate this information to continue the conversations, and I would really appreciate it if you could do that. Don't forget to subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify Podcasts. You can follow us on our website at Inspiring Essential Wisdom. Oops, sorry. That's my Instagram. Oh, my gosh. By the way, everyone, I have an Instagram. Find me on Instagram, Inspiring Essential Wisdom. The website is essentialwisdominspiringphysicians.com. The uh, website link for the podcast is essentialwisdom.buzzsprout.com. And I think that's all of my announcements for the week. So if you didn't notice, this is a little surprise that I had two episodes today. So I hope you have a great Monday and looking forward to our next episode on Thursday. So thanks for tuning in, everybody. Have a great week. Mm -hmm.